Clearshore presents Technology, Innovation, and Modern War, Class 6, Will Roper, by Steve Blank, October 19th, 2020, at steveblank.com. We just held our sixth session of our new national security class, Technology, Innovation, and Modern War. Joe Felter, Raj Shah, and I designed a class to examine the new military systems, operational concepts, and doctrines that will emerge with 21st century technologies, namely space, cyber, AI and machine learning, and autonomy. Today's topic was Innovations in Acquiring Technologies for Modern War. Our guest speaker was the Honorable Will Roper, Assistant Secretary of the Air Force. Some of the readings for this class session included Defense Innovation as Falling Short, Dr. Will Roper's recent AMA about AFWorks and AFVentures, and the Future of Defense Task Force Report. In some of our class sessions, you've heard about how acquisition in the Department of Defense hasn't kept up with new threats, adversaries, and new technologies. But Will Roper, who runs Air Force Acquisition, Technology, and Logistics, gives lie to that assertion. He gets it, and he's running as fast as he can to move the Air Force into the 21st century. It was an eye-opening conversation. Will Roper is responsible for spending $60 billion acquiring 550 programs as well as technology and logistics. His resume reads like he trained for the job. Bachelor's and Master's in Physics and Ph.D. from Oxford in Math. He started his career at MIT Lincoln Labs, then was Chief Architect at the Missile Defense Agency and the Founding Director of the Pentagon's Strategic Capabilities Office. The SCO imagines new, often unexpected and game-changing uses of existing government and commercial systems. The entire class session was a talk by Will and Q&A with the students. It would be easy to just put up the video and the transcription and be done with it. But that would do a real disservice to the insights Will offered. It's interesting to note how many of his observations echo the ones Chris Bros made in the previous session. I've extracted and paraphrased a few, but I encourage you to read the transcript and watch the video. Here's what Will had to say. I view the competition with China as one of the seminal challenges that we're going to face in this century. It's not a fait accompli how it's going to end, but it's a very different challenge because it's not a Cold War Part Two. We're very economically intertwined with this competitor but we do have to treat it just as if it was an existential race, because we have a very different worldview than what our competitor does. Commercial technologies are being driven faster than any government can keep up with, though many governments are trying to steer it to their own advantage. And many of the technological breakthroughs that could be important to the military are going to be available to everyone. So, the model that worked so well in the Cold War, where you made a technology breakthrough, you did it exclusively inside your own country, and because you were annexed with your competitor, you could develop that technology, instantiate it in your military, and field it for advantage, really doesn't make a lot of sense in this decade and in this century. Technology is what it is. Governments play a strong role in it. We can incubate it. We can accelerate it. We can create it. But we're increasingly a smaller fraction of what happens commercially. I view the Pentagon being in a time of crisis, where it's really trying to figure out its role, where it's not the major funder of innovation anymore. It has a sizable budget. 
It's a sizable market, but it's not the major driver of invention, and I find most of the people working in it have a hard time with that. They have been in the building since before the Cold War and have really not been outside to see that the times have changed. But I love the times that we're in. Technology is cheap, it's ubiquitous, it's fast, it's moving. The Pentagon's challenge is to reboot itself, to get rid of those Cold War processes that were very good at inventing technology that would change the world. Now we have to be good at adapting technology, bringing it in from the outside and instantiating it. We need to be better at building partnerships, but it's not actually the way we organize the business. And there are so many great areas for partnership between the military and commercial innovators that we're missing out on opportunities. And AFWorks and other organizations that I've tried to stand up in the Air Force to create partnerships are a central paradigm for how we move innovation forward. The military is going to have to treat technology wherever it is as a battlefield in and of itself, and that is not how the Pentagon is set up to run. If we don't engage proactively, I think what we have seen happen with hobbyist drones a few years ago as a harbinger of what could become the status quo in future years, where technologies may emerge in one innovative sector, but if we're not proactive and engaging with them, then the supply chain and market will move overseas to another country's advantage, and this is not the Pentagon's playbook. We are very good at having an adversary that we can forecast well, having good intelligence on them, formulating our view of their future, creating a model of what we think they will bring to bear on the battlefield, both technologically as well as operationally. We create our own counter solution to what we predict. We build it, hopefully get to it first, and once we field it, we hope that countering what we have done leads to a strategy that leads to our victory. That worked well in the Cold War. There's no indication that will work well in the situation we find ourselves in today. So, as I've engaged in Air Force and Space Force acquisition, it starts with the presupposition that the future can be predicted. You won't find that written down in any acquisition document, but it's actually foundational to how the Pentagon works. The future is predictable, and it's not. I have no idea what the future is going to be. I have no idea what 2030 is going to be. Who knows what technology is going to be the next big thing? You'll find people in radically different camps. You'll find one group centering around AI. You'll find different people who will say no. Quantum systems are going to allow radically different phenomenology to be brought to bear. Not just computing and encryption, but sensing. And they'll be next to a group that will say nope. Biological systems are going to allow fundamentally different approaches to building sensors and computing and sensing, and you're not going to have to wait on those exquisite quantum systems because you can hack biology and do it sooner. And the camps go on. So that just tells me this is a wonderful time for technology. It's everywhere. It's not expensive to engage in, and there's no telling which technology is going to lead to that next industrial revolution. I think that is really the competition amongst nations. That many of these technologies could birth a new industrial revolution, and whichever country does it, it's going to be to such a decided advantage that the military part of the equation is probably moot. 
But the military, because it is a very stabilizing and unique part of any country's market system, has to play a catalyzing role in setting that country up to find the Industrial Revolution faster. The Pentagon is not suited for this. So the $60 billion per year procurement system that I run for the Air Force and Space Force, the strategy is pretty simple. You need to be exceptionally fast and agile. The Cold War system wasn't. And the system in this century must be. Because we don't know what the next big thing is going to be. So let's be ready to adapt to it. Speeding the system up is not as hard as you think. It's just not what was valued in the past. So you just simply have to change the value system, change the culture, and the system will speed up. The harder part is teaching the Air Force and Space Force to work in the broader ecosystem. It's very easy to fall back on the historical process that predicts the future, derives a solution for that future, and then kicks it out to a handful of companies, defense companies, that we have historically gone to in recent times to help us build that future. And with so many fields of technology now available, we simply can't work with a handful of companies and expect to win. Defense research and development is only one-fifth of the total R&D that our nation does. In the height of the Cold War, we were four-fifths. That doesn't mean that we've gotten any worse at research and development at the Pentagon. It just means that the landscape has changed, and we haven't. So teaching our acquisition system our procurement system, that it needs a different set of rules to work in the four-fifths of our nation's R&D that's commercial has been exceptionally challenging. So, standing up organizations like AFWorks that have a completely different model and culture and ethos, their job is to treat emerging commercial markets as a battlefield and try to bring the military's mission as a way to accelerate commercial companies, not just to help military missions, but to accelerate them as an end state in and of itself, because that is in our national interest. I found that within the Air Force, we can rally around this as a core mission. That accelerating technology is something that can be understood by anyone that we've trained in the military because it's easy to understand. If that company, if that technology, if that market doesn't happen in the U.S. first, it's likely to happen somewhere else. And if it happens somewhere else, there's no guarantee we'll have access to it. So that's a second imperative that we have to be able to work in our entire tech ecosystem. The summary of what I've seen is the Pentagon is very good at maintaining technological disciplines that were born in the Cold War. We're still very good at things based on Maxwell's equations that radars and stealth and antennas and radios and materials. But we have not learned to work in the commercial ecosystem. And we have not learned to work in digital and software-driven technology. If we learn those just very smart handful of lessons, we'll be closer to being the agile, disruptive system we need to be. Now we're competing against an adversary in China that will likely have double our GDP and quadruple our population, and perhaps have 15 times the STEM graduates that we'll have by the year 2030. So, we're not going to beat them at scale. Speed and agility are the only way that we can ensure that we have a leg up. I am very pleased with the progress the Air Force has made. This is just lap one of what is going to be a very long race, and this race doesn't end. 
there's no way to forecast what the end-state relationship will be between the U.S. and China. So we need to hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. For the time being, that means treating every new technology or possible new technology as an opportunity to hope for, but also a detriment to fear. And I hope that if we inculcate that urgency with our organization, that we will become the kind of Air Force that is ready for whatever we call this competition with China. Some people call it a hot piece. I don't really care about slangs and slogans. I just know it's real. We have to treat it seriously and remain urgent. So far, I've been very pleased with how ready for the challenge that we've been, and I hope that we won't be the only service to move out as aggressively as we've done. It's going to take an entire team to keep this up over time. It was interesting to note what Will didn't say in a public forum as what he did say. My guess is that in this transition from legacy system to new platforms, each of the service acquisition executives has to deal with the parochial concerns of existing contractors in Congress, all scrambling to keep their part of a finite defense budget. Acquisition execs like Will likely spend more time trying to get rid of existing legacy programs as they do getting the new ones funded. For the Air Force, it's manned versus unmanned aircraft. For the Navy, it's more carriers versus other platforms. For all services, it's exquisite systems versus mass expendable ones, etc. And as an extra bonus, read Will Roper's talk, There Is No Spoon. Lessons learned. Competition with China is one of the seminal challenges we're going to face in this century. The Pentagon is very good at maintaining technological disciplines that were born in the Cold War. The Cold War model of exclusively inventing it and then using it only for your military is no longer true. Today's technological breakthroughs are going to be available to everyone. We've not learned to work in digital and software-driven technology. And the Pentagon's challenge is to reboot itself to get rid of those Cold War processes. Now we have to be good at bringing technology in from the outside. The presupposition that the future can be predicted is no longer true. No telling which technology, AI, autonomy, biotech, space, etc., is going to lead. You need to be exceptionally fast and agile. The Cold War system wasn't. Speeding the system up is not what was valued in the past. So you have to change the value system, the culture, and the system will speed up. And we need to work in the broader ecosystem. We simply can't work with a handful of companies and expect to win. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. We would like to hear from you, so please send your thoughts to comments at clearshore.us or visit us at clearshore.us. If you would like this show delivered to you automatically, you can subscribe to the Clearshore Podcasts on iTunes. Wishing you all the best until next time.